listening to The Big Tent here on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I'm your host, Charlie Hunt, and I seem to be joined by someone new every week, and it's such a joy for me, and it's particularly joyful this week, uh, because I haven't talked to today's co-host in quite a while now. How's it going there, Jen? Oh, I'm so glad that we are doing this, and I'm so grateful to you, Charlie, for helping those of us who are not as technologically competent to record the show so we can still be showing up at Radio Boise. Oh, well, I'm doing my best. We we all are. So for today's show, we can't not continue to talk about the coronavirus, but what I think we're going to do today is sort of switch it up a little bit. So the last couple weeks I've talked with Jackie and Luke about testing and about a lot of the everyday kind of counting of the numbers and how the virus spreads and things like that. I think we've done enough of that for now, so we want to turn with Jen to a couple of the, I think, less talked about issues and sort of ramifications of the virus. So what we wanted to talk about in this first segment is uh, a slightly heavier topic. So as you know, we're all sheltering in place here, or hopefully we are, hopefully hopefully our listeners are. And, you know, more and more of us I'm seeing are starting to know people personally, some people in our families, our friends, who are catching this illness. And we wanted to talk a little bit about how we might plan for something like that, planning for the sickness, whether that's for ourselves or for a loved one, how the household is going to operate, whether that's coping sort of logistically or emotionally. Uh, Jen, do you want to sort of talk a little bit about what you've been looking at on this issue and any kind of thoughts you might have on that subject? Um, Yeah, I have been thinking about how you prepare to be sick, which is such a strange thing. It's not something I've ever thought about before, but it was really spurred on by reading the accounts on Twitter of some people, in particular those who have families, um, people who have smaller kids or even teenagers, and what happens in those families when one or both of the adults happens to get sick. And um, just uh, pulled together a list of sort of questions uh, that I wanted to talk about with my husband and my kids, just so I give me sort of some peace of mind in case I got sick, in case my husband got sick, worst case scenario, we both got sick, and one or both of us ended up in the hospital, like, what are my two teenage girls going to do? And so I just came up with a list of questions, and I've shared it with friends and family as well. And that has helped me feel a little bit better, Um, gave me sort of a sense of control in a moment, I think, when you know, a lot is out of our control. Um, And I don't know you, I think you live alone, Charlie. So you probably have a different set of questions or different thoughts that are going through your mind. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, I've heard a lot recently about folks who live alone, kind of getting in touch with neighbors, sharing phone numbers and emails, uh, sharing information with neighbors so that you can get in touch with them. I mean, particularly for me, you know, I I do technically live alone, but of course I live with my dog, Rhodey, who I've talked about on the show before, probably a little too much, but I would want to make sure he was taken care of, uh, and I would want to make sure everything was taken care of and fine with my house and everything. So, you know, those are certainly some of the things that I think about, but also, you know, being able to communicate with my parents. I mean, I, I have a loved one who is 
right now in the hospital with coronavirus. They won't even let him access his phone. There are all kinds of lockdown restrictions when you're in the hospital with this. So being able to sort of plan for and facilitate communication between loved ones is something I've been thinking about as a challenge that that I think not a lot of folks are probably super prepared for. So I totally agree that this is really important. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. We just put together a list of numbers that we would want the kids to call or that I would want my husband to call, people to let know if one or both of us was sick. Um, And then also sort of like nitty gritty stuff, like which of our bedrooms in the house is the quarantine room and who's going to be in charge of bringing food and just be on paper plates. And, um, you know, how do you keep track of what medication somebody has had or what temperatures they've had on what days and what time and so some basics like that but then also like putting together passwords for my husband because I like in our family I do the finances and so I just wanted him to be able to have access to things like that so you know here's my password for my laptop and here's our um, banking password and all of that sort of stuff pass those things along yeah absolutely I mean I in, in terms of the you know you brought up the quarantine, the idea of a quarantine room, right? And I think, you know, I've been reading a a number of pieces on how, you know, life partners, whether they're living together or not, or continuing to see each other during the crisis, if the question is, you know, if one of us gets sick, will we make active efforts to try and keep the other one not sick and get through the 14 days until this hopefully passes, or do we, if we live together, do we just say, you know, screw it, we're both probably going to get sick. And so, you know, let's not go way out of our way to sort of separate and be there for each other as much as we possibly can. And I, I guess yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if you've read anything about that or sort of have any particular feelings about how that kind of thing would work. Obviously, it's different when you have kids, right? Um, Yeah, I think absolutely. I just think the key is to have that conversation in advance, because that's not the conversation you want to have when you're like, suffering from a terrible fever and a cough. And so figuring that out in advance, are we just like going all in? I think for me, having kids, I want to buy us as much time with a healthy or healthy ish parent as I can. And so if we can increase the lag between one of us being sick and the other being sick, I think, you know, however much time you can buy yourself, um, the better. But again, yeah, you're living together. This is um, such a contagious disease. And so, again, some of it's out of your control. But we opted to go ahead and try to stay well as long as as possible and to segregate the sick person. Um, But then again, you, you have to answer questions like, when will you decide to go to the hospital? Will you try to go get testing? And just having some of those conversations in advance is helpful. Well, I mean, I, uh, uh, I've had a couple of other relatives who, you know, have not gotten tests, but after consulting with their doctors, their doctors essentially said, I can almost, based on the symptoms you just read to me and how this has been happening, I can almost guarantee that you have it. You're what we would call a presumptive positive. But because your symptoms are relatively mild, you know, they, they've been encouraging them not to go to the hospital, which which I, I get and I understand. But it also does, I think it's important to remember that that does put pressure on a household, right? It, it 
changes the total dynamic of what's going to happen in the house. And because what is a mild case in one family member may not be a mild case for another family member. Um, and so that's something that I know, you know, uh, other folks I know who have come down with this have, have been thinking about a lot. Yeah. And there, there's only so much you can plan for. I mean, some of those decisions you're going to have to make in the moment, right? Uh, but somehow just having the, through that three or four page document with some of that information written down um, made me feel a little bit better. Absolutely. Are there, are there any other sort of questions or, or checklists that uh, that are that are sort of in that document that you'd like to share with folks that we haven't talked about yet? Well, definitely you mentioned one, like who's going to take care of the pets. And so we, you know, our kids do a lot of chores around our house, but we made sure that they understand how to feed our dog peanut. And um, our, our 13-year-old actually has a hedgehog, so she needed to teach us how to take care of the hedgehog. Um, so some basics like that, like who of our um, close family in Boise should they call first and uh, what do they do if they need food, things like that? What is the sort of, um, where might they get money if they need to buy food themselves? So just thinking through some of those um, kind of logistics. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you you can always know that you can always call uh, your fellow Big Tent co-hosts as well. Oh, you're on speed dial, Charlie. No, great. no worries. Great, great. I was hoping so. Uh, okay, so uh, we're going to take a short break and then come back with uh, a slightly less heavy topic. We're going to talk about uh, elections and how elections are or are not operating during the COVID pandemic. Stay tuned. Hey there, you are listening to Big Tent Radio. I think this is the third show that we have done on COVID-19, which means we are officially in week four. My name's Jen Schneider. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Charlie Hunt, we're both hunkered down in our abodes, and so we're uh, doing some interesting stuff with recording, but we are glad you are joining us. So we spent the last segment talking a little bit about sort of personally preparing for potentially getting sick. We hope that that doesn't happen to any of you, but something to think about. Charlie, you also pay a lot of attention to what's happening in terms of state politics, and one of the big stories this week was what was happening in Wisconsin with their election process. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that intersected with the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, listeners will remember that Jackie and I talked a little bit about the, the voting process and vote by mail and whether or not that's something we'll need to do. And even at that time, most states with primaries coming up, it is primary season, but most states with primaries coming up had either postponed the election, instituted a statewide uh, vote by mail or robust absentee ballot system that was reliable and that would, you know, you could get your ballot in on the day of the election. As long as it was postmarked, it would still count. They had either, you know, postponed the election, done that with vote by mail or both. Wisconsin chose to do neither, um, which was, I think, really questionable. Um, and most experts tend to agree, fairly questionable. So, you know, Wisconsin does have an absentee ballot system, and they did get a record number of absentee uh, ballots. Um, so for the city of Milwaukee alone, they got uh, about 56,000 absentee ballots returned. Uh, another 40,000 still potentially in transit, and then uh, 19,000 people voted in person. And that was just in the city of Milwaukee. So, you know, one thing that's 
clear here is that having 19,000 people in a major American city today during this pandemic, going out to central locations and voting, standing in line waiting is not ideal from a health perspective. Set aside even the political stuff or the electoral stuff. Um, I, I, I got to say, I think holding this election and not having a really full, robust vote by mail system without banning people from voting in person was frankly a really irresponsible thing for the state of Wisconsin to do. And Charlie, I've been hearing like multiple explanations for it. I think the the charitable explanation is that it was just an administrative nightmare and the governor took too long to make the call and it was too hard for elections officials to pivot. I think a darker interpretation is that by and large, increased voter turnout and usually voting by mail tends to benefit Democrats and uh, lower voter turnout now tends to benefit Republicans. And so I've heard some folks sort of say, well, this was clearly uh, made mm-hmm. to protect those those in power. How do you make sense of those explanations? Well, I think they both probably have at least some merit. I mean, the, the Democratic governor of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, um, issued an executive order, I believe, the day before or two days before the election when it was clear that uh, no one else was going to do anything about this. He essentially said, we've got to cancel this. We've got to postpone this and do it some other time. We are not ready um, to have in-person voting. And we're also not ready, like from a health perspective, and we're also not ready to have full absentee or vote by mail because we haven't dealt with that administratively or ensured that folks who are a little slower in getting in absentee ballots or postmarking them by election day, uh, that those aren't going to get counted. And essentially, it was overturned by the Supreme Court, which said that uh, the laws that Wisconsin had on the books based on vote for uh, absentee voting prior to the pandemic were the ones that had to be in effect and that there could be no special circumstances for this. And so folks who really wanted to vote but who weren't able to get absentee ballots instead went and voted in person uh, because they also couldn't just ban voting in person. And so there's definitely an element where Wisconsin just wasn't properly prepared for this, or I should say they did not properly prepare themselves for this. They could have done so. Um, and then also that you know, there is this factor of the, the partisanship, um, but I got to say, I can't tell. I There's sort of mixed evidence on whether vote by mail helps Democrats or helps Republicans. Democrats in general tend to be more uh, lax on issues of voter fraud. And there's, by the way, a lot of reason for that because there aren't, there are barely any uh, documented uh, conditions of voter fraud in the country. And Republicans tend to be much more skeptical of that. And so Democrats tend to favor, you know, more open voting and elections and registration laws. But it's not necessarily clear that widespread, say, nationwide vote by mail would automatically help Democrats. For example, it would keep a lot of older Americans from uh, going to the poll, going to the polls and putting themselves at risk. And instead, they would vote by mail. And that would, I think almost uniformly benefit uh, Republicans and certainly President Trump in the fall. 
Yeah, I think that those are really important things to sort of suss apart those claims about about voting by mail. I know the the president, President Trump, has certainly said himself, oh, we would not allow voting by mail because it wouldn't benefit my my party. So he's sort of given some credence, I think, to that belief. And he has said it's bad for the United States, even though he himself voted by mail in the last election. So I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about what that would mean. It's certainly a big administrative challenge, and it's a, it's frustrating to see uh, states not starting to think more seriously about doing that now ahead of the November election. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it sh- it should definitely be said that it's not as if you just flick a switch and vote by mail happens, and that it's such an easy solution in that way. It really is. A, it should be said an administrative nightmare. But that's why a lot of these states are postponing their elections so that they can their primaries so that they can get a robust system in place if they don't already have one. And we should remind our listeners that. Uh, Places like states like Oregon, our our neighbor to the west, already have a robust vote by mail system that's gone off without a hitch for years at this point. Um, so it certainly can be done. It just has the political will has to come together and the administrative will. Um, and so, as you just mentioned, Jen, there's a lot of discussions now are about okay. Obviously, we have this primary process happening now, and that's a huge concern. But what about in a general election, a presidential election in November, where turnout is multiplied by several times? Uh, people are a lot more interested. People are a lot more tuned in. They want to vote. They want to cast their vote. But there's this question of a whether enough states can get it in place for it to be in pl- to, for it to be safe. B if we have sort of the national will to do it. Um, a lot of sort of far a lot of sort of left wing groups are really trying to pressure Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer uh, in Congress to ensure that whatever next phase relief package Congress pass for the president to sign has some kind of trigger mechanism that basically says if we have not passed this kind of benchmark in terms of uh, eradicating COVID by uh, election day, then we are going to have an all vote by mail election. Now, like you mentioned, the president did not warm to this idea um, and said right out in the open the reason why, which is that he thought it would hurt Republicans, even though it's not even necessarily clear that that's the case. But uh, Pelosi and Schumer have been reluctant to include that and been wanting to focus more on the economic and health measures. But, you know, November feels far away, but it's not that far away. And given how much administrative effort would have to be would need to be put in in order to correct this by November, this is something they would really have to get started on soon. This isn't a bill that they could pass at the end of September and get a national vote by mail system in place by the election. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah, it's going to take extraordinary planning. And there's a lot of ramifications if we if we get it wrong. All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what Charlie and I have been doing to uh, chase away the blues, the COVID-19 blues. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Big Tent here on Radio Boise. I'm your host, Charlie Hunt, here with my excellent co-host, Jen Schneider. And we're going to turn to uh, happier thoughts. Uh, it can be it can be tough to fight away the COVID-19 blues these days, especially while we are 
relatively cooped up in our homes, hopefully staying safe, but we also need to stay sane. So, uh, Jen, I thought we'd talk a little bit about some of our uh, methods for not going mad. Uh, Any recommendations for our listeners for how you've been able to stay busy, stay sane, uh, even, God forbid, stay somewhat productive during uh, during this troubling time. <laughs> I see you're laughing at the very idea of staying productive. Man, also staying sane. I mean, I certainly have my moments where I'm like frustrated and crying and unhappy. That's for sure. I think that's part of it. Um, but the things that help a lot are things that put put you into what the social psychologists like to call flow, right? Where you're like doing something kind of very... Uh, detail-oriented that occupies a lot of your attention. It's one of those activities where you look up and all of a sudden an hour has passed. And for me, it's like going back to my childhood, I am a big fan right now of paint by number. (laughs) You you can order some great kits online for adults and that has been awesome. And I've really noticed if I have a day or two where I don't do it, I need that that time to check out for sure. We've also been doing a lot of puzzles in our house and playing games and I think it's the same sort of thing it allows your brain to sort of turn off tune out the news and do something uh you know refreshing and fun yeah yeah I I totally agree puzzles have been great um also uh my version of brainless activity which is playing uh uh Mario Kart online on my Nintendo with uh with friends and family uh, and doing that while sort of having a, a Zoom situation set up so that you can video chat with them while you're doing that is a nice way of at least kind of feeling like you're in the same room with other with other people while uh, playing a fun game. Uh, that's that's always been nice. I mean, de- generally my amount of FaceTiming with uh, with various family members has increased manifold, which which is really. Uh, is really comforting, particularly FaceTiming with my nieces and nephews who are really adorable and blissfully ignorant of much of this, except being taught at home uh, by my my brothers and my sisters-in-law who are uh, now strongly, I imagine, advocating for much higher teacher salaries. Yeah, absolutely. We have we have teachers in the house too and, and kids in the house too. So there's a lot of time on Zoom. So I've done a few Zoom happy hours, but I definitely find by the end of the day, I'm like Zoomed out and not wanting to do more meetings on the screen. So the other saving grace has been getting outside. And, you know, there's good practices for doing that in like a socially distancing safe mm-hmm. way. Um, but we been we take a lot of walks around the neighborhood. Um, we try to go up into the foothills at times when they're not going to be very busy and, you know, give people space, wear masks, that sort of thing. But getting outside, this, getting some sunshine has been great. And man, exercise. I hate, I hate to say it. Yeah. Um, but if I don't get that, you know, physical exercise by the, by the evening, I am for sure grumpy. I'm exactly the same way. If I find I've just sort of like been in my house all day, and I mean, especially because it's been such a beautiful week outside and will continue to be, on the one hand, it makes me sad that not everyone can be, you know, congregating at the park and hanging out, though I notice some people still are, folks. Stop doing that. 
on the other hand, there are still some good ways to get outdoors, even if it's just sort of walking around your neighborhood and social distancing. Uh, our our co-host Jackie's husband Cook sent me a picture of something he found online, which was someone who mapped a run they did. They ran an entire marathon in their backyard, running circles around their backyard, twenty six point two miles. And I, I don't, I can't even imagine what that person's mental state must have been like afterwards. I don't necessarily recommend that. Um, but do you know what I can recommend, Charlie? I have some news for you. What can you recommend? Oh, we're going to look at puppies tomorrow. Yay! Yay! So our local animal shelters here in the valley are closed, but they are still um, arranging these one-on-one sort of like pet dates. So if you fill out an application, either at West Valley or Idaho Humane Society and you look at dogs they have posted online, you can arrange times to go and, and meet the dogs again in a, a COVID safe way. And um, we're going to go meet some puppies tomorrow and also some middle-aged dudes uh, who need some need, need a home. We lost our, our sweet dog Milo back in January. So we're feels like a good time to inject some new life into our house well and honestly everybody's home right so the the especially if it's a puppy it can get attention it can get house trained or not yeah yeah Yeah, no it seems it seems great i mean i have honestly i already have a dog i strongly consider getting another one but i i figured i should probably just wait until this uh this tapers out a little bit but i think it's a really great idea for you um and i'm so so excited for you uh it can your new dog can be one of now our many big tent mascots yeah, exactly. And listen, if if you talk to me in a week and I haven't slept because I've been up all night with puppy, I may be like, what in the world was I thinking? But um, pretty excited. And I feel like we need something, you know, happy to look forward to right now. So hopefully that'll that'll juice the situation. I couldn't agree more. And I can't wait to hear updates in subsequent weeks on the Big Tent and our listeners will be able to wait either. Absolutely. Maybe our listeners can help name whoever we uh, we adopt. Ooh, what a fun That'd contest! Fun. Yeah, Ooh. let's do it. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, but for now, we are going to leave you for the week, hopefully on a slightly happier note. Uh, but we look forward to talking to you again next week on the Big Tent. Thanks for listening.